You're listening to City Beat, the weekly podcast from online daily urbanmilwaukee.com. We have a great show planned today with guest Jeremy Foyt from Milwaukee, looking back at the organization's first 10 years, and Urban Milwaukee editor Bruce Murphy calling in to discuss the significance of American Family Insurance's naming rights deal with Miller Park. Don't touch that dial, close that app, or hit that mute button. We'll be right back. Jeremy Foyet, Chief Idea Officer at Milwaukee, has been with the organization for almost all of its ten years. He was originally uh, part of the organization's Art Milwaukee Wing, which has now been kind of absorbed into the, not the main focus of what they do, but really a holistic look at what they do. Jeremy, tell us, I guess, a bit about what Milwaukee is. If I've lived under a rock for ten years, what have I missed? <laughs> Thanks for having me. Uh, so what Milwaukee is is really an agency uh, social architecture agency, which is the conscious design of an environment, shifting the population towards a goal or set of goals. Now, that can be different. That could be when you look at physical real estate. That could be a talent attraction strategy inside a company or a retention strategy. That could be in public. That could be on a corridor. Uh, it could be a behavioral shift. And Milwaukee's kind of worked in many different facets from physical space to temporal um, program programmatic space, but a lot of different things that really create a sense of belonging around living in a city and how you connect to people is really at its core what we do. And this is the part of the show where ethically I should disclose that I serve not on the board of Milwaukee, but on the advisory board. So I'm sure Jeremy, uh, despite that lofty title, will tell me something I don't know about the organization today. Uh, but I do have some involvement in the not the not the day to day management or the, or of the organization, but kind of helping with strategic vision, being a resource to bounce ideas off of. So, Jeremy, you touched on social architecture. What exactly does that mean? It's the conscious design of an environment. So, let's for example, um, initially one of our large projects that we're pretty well known for is the night market. You know, one of the things we created a couple years ago was working with developers, residents, business owners, small businesses. You know, what are we going to create on West Wisconsin Avenue to create economic development, to create a sense of belonging, to call this, to take a corridor that had a lot of empty storefronts and was in need of some people coming downtown again to that major thoroughfare, which we all loved back in the early days. And I don't, have you, have you said the name of the street yet, where this, this yeah, corridor is? Avenue. Okay. Yeah, Wisconsin Avenue. And um, creating a programmatic element, creating a reason for people to come downtown, a reason to connect. And it really is consciously looking at not just creating an event, but creating an experience. And, and what that leads to is kind of an output of the night market, which is really a mashup of everything Milwaukee has to offer, a really inclusive and diverse environment, no matter your background, race, or social economics. Um, create a place for everybody. Interesting. So you've touched on the night market. I'm going to jump ahead of my list of questions for you to continue that discussion. What changes are in store for the night market? I think we can all agree it's been a tremendous success by any measure. It's one of the most most diverse gathering places in the city when it happens. It's beloved by virtually everyone. It's free. That's a big plus. It takes place Wednesdays once a month in the summer. What changes are going to come to the night market kind of as Wisconsin Avenue evolves around it? Um, well, but definitely construction changes. So the physical 
layout will be a little bit different, uh, but we're trying, I think we'll be all right. We'll, we, at the end of the year, due to the capacity of the street, we extended a little bit down towards the river. Uh, I think you'll see a lot more programmatic elements, uh, live art, more art demonstrations, more performances this year. Uh, you'll see a little different layout because we have to change the layout because of all the things happening with the symphony and the Grand Avenue. So those are the changes you'll see, but it'll be much of the same, uh, different vendors every night. Uh, you'll see a little bit different uh, as we've signed a partnership with some of the craft beer, uh, local craft beer associations. You'll see a little bit more presence of local beer on the street, so people might enjoy that a little bit more. But really just a lot more elements a layering of program, programming, uh, programmatic elements to the, the event than just uh, vendors. And what kind of, what what is exciting you the most about that? I mean, obviously dealing with construction is going to be a challenge. You talked about local beer. Put that down as my thing I'm most excited about. What's interesting <laughs> to you? Uh, what's interesting to me is, I, I you know, I just, I kind of like why it works in the first place. The street, I kind of look at it as it's everybody's space, but it's no one's space. It really didn't have a neighborhood feel to it. Um, as more development happens in the area, more people live in the area, it's kind of their whole, their their local, not festival, but their local event, something that people have a pride to. But it also has a tour tourism, a lot of tourists come over to the hotels, that event. So I, look, I like the mashup of everybody there dancing on the street and looking around and seeing what Milwaukee really looks like. And I think it isn't, I'm not excited about the next thing, but keeping its core and not hoping that doesn't change as we change other elements of it. Okay. So what else does Milwaukee have coming this year? Is YP Week back again? YP Week is back. Uh, we're expanding that national. We'll be in the four cities to, as a pilot in Louisville, Atlanta, uh, Chicago, and Salt Lake. Uh, we have some relationships there. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of new things that uh, it's our tenure, so there'll be a lot of new programming. There'll be a female-focused leadership panel uh, discussions every quarter called The Shift. Uh, there's a couple new events we're working on uh, all around the area that are, aren't public yet, and I kind of want to wait till to launch them as we have a launch date. But you'll see a lot of new things this year, uh, not just temporal and programmatic, but more physical space, too, that um, we're hoping to release later on this year. And when is YP Week taking place this year? Uh, the last week of April. And what is, I guess for those that don't know, what exactly is YP Week? Uh, YP Week is really a densification of different organizations collaborating and showing what they want to showcase at in Milwaukee. So we partner with about 34 different organizations. On a, There's around 25 to 30 programs. It really kind of depends on who is involved at the end of the day. But everybody doing an event during the week to showcase Milwaukee in general or other organization and what they're working on. Um, sometimes you hear, like, I didn't know that was going on or I didn't know this organization. It really is kind of a key to the city as far as all the events are in different locations, all of the organizations involved. But the key to say that there's not, you know, people say maybe there's nothing going on in Milwaukee or not, there's nothing to do here or something like that. We, we Here's everything you can get involved in in one week. And um, that that's kind of stayed true and it's it's a lot of fun there's pro, there's you know programs every day and it also has a, it's a there's diverse programming so there's philanthropy programs there's um socials there's mixers or professional development so it's something for everybody in in the next 10 years we've, 
we've hit on, I guess, some of the many things that have happened in the last 10 years. What happens in the next 10 years when the core team is no longer young professionals? You've, you've avoided, uh, I don't know that you've avoided, but you haven't said young professionals now, and I've seen that evolution already coming, but what, what does the future of the next 10 years in Milwaukee look like? Yeah, I mean, we haven't used that moniker in about like four or five years. Um, we've been looking at how do you create belonging in the community? As you know, when people are in transition, whether they graduate college or they're new to a city or they're a veteran or they're um, in a relationship, what are all the points where people can become isolated in their life and how can we help connect them to the things to find their belonging? Uh, we're doing that for a lot of companies right now. We're doing a lot of things that you don't see publicly. I mean, people see the events publicly, but we're working with companies and developers on the back end to create this sense of belonging. So you'll see a lot more purpose, I think, than maybe you've seen the past or some of our events of why we're doing it. Uh, you know, everything we're everything is around this belonging. So I think that is what you'll see in the future is a lot more intentionality than doing an event for an event's sake, even though we didn't do a lot of that. But um, it's really not about age for us. It's really about stage of life you're in. And we do 150 events a year, all of, you know, all different aspects. So it's about what stage you're, you know, if you're married with kids, but you're still 30, you, some events that we do are going to be attractive, some won't be. And we're trying to hit all stages of life as opposed to thinking about it as age. Well, I want to say congratulations on 10 years and then note why I thought it was important to have you on right now. You're hosting a free party on February 8th, starting at 8 p.m. to celebrate 10 years. People that want to learn more about that, including where it is uh, at the best place at the Historic Paps Brewery, can learn more online at newwalkie.com. But while I have you here, you've thrown a lot of events in the past 10 years. You've hit on 150 a year. What's the craziest thing that's ever happened at an event? <laughs> I don't know if I, I mean, there's, um, uh, wow. I mean, I, I think, you know, when it comes back to the first event that we ever decided to quit our jobs and do this, try to try to make a full-time effort was the Urban Island Beach Party, which is a fundraiser for Lakeshore State Park. Uh, that is something where we had an event at Lakeshore State Park. We thought it was going to be about 200 people to show up. This is one of our first major events uh, throwing a festival, and about 3,000 people showed up that first year, and we had no lights, no bathrooms. I think we had one bathroom. There was a food truck. We had, had no preparation for it, and people were demanding everything. And oddly enough, that turned us into say we have something here we're creating things that people can connect to we should quit our full-time jobs and try to do this full um try to do this full-time and kind of the rest is history that was about seven years ago when we decided to stop volunteering our time and start turning this into a company that can make some impact and that was probably the craziest thing because there was people out there going why we we had to turn on our car headlights out into the audience so people could actually see what they were doing out there so I think that was crazy from our standpoint, a little behind the scenes of, you know, planning an event. You take a year to plan an event, and it's for four hours, which I think sometimes seems weird to me, but to do. So that's crazy as far as what we do, but um, there's a lot more crazier stories that happen at events that it probably shouldn't be on the radio. <laughs> All right. Well, those we will keep from the radio. Is there a favorite event you want to plug that's coming up in the next year? Is it YP Week? Is it the night market? Is it something that you've yet to announce? Um, well, I'll, I'll plug the most recent event that's coming up. We're really excited. We got to report on how, or, you know, uh, if people don't know, Milwaukee is 
um, 85% female driven company and our, our CEO is a female and they're really interested in the report around board leadership and placement of boards and executives and what the, how lack of, or how Wisconsin kind of lags in that sector. So we're holding a program called the shift around shifting that behavior in a lot of the local companies to say it's time that we address this issue. So that's coming up in February 23rd. It's going to be at Diverse Attack in River West. So I think that that's kind of the thing we're most excited for. I believe there's about 400 RSVPs for that already. So it should be a good time and a good networking event, and it's for a purpose. All right. Well, Jeremy Foyt of Milwaukee, Chief Idea Officer, thanks for joining us. I uh, hope you and the team, Angela, Nicole, Rita, Wyatt, and everyone else that's involved are staying warm. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Now we are joined by Urban Milwaukee Editor Bruce Murphy. Bruce, thanks for joining us. Howdy. How are you doing? Good. Are you staying warm? I'm certainly trying. And we are, for those that are listening to this recorded, we're recording this on Tuesday before the super cold temperatures hit, which, based on how cold I am right now, it's hard to imagine it's going to get a lot colder, but that's what the forecasts say. Bruce is joining us to talk about uh, the wealth gap and Miller Park's deal. How does a wealth gap factor into a naming rights deal with American Family Insurance? That's a very good question. Well, what it basically boils down to is... uh Aside from CEO salaries, which the New York Times in the past has has pegged as the the biggest factor uh, in terms of the wealth gap, I think sports teams are probably the the second area because you have this whole situation where average folks through a sales tax or some other kind of tax are subsidizing a business, uh, pro sports, and uh, most of that money, uh, the profits and, and earnings, end up going to millionaire ballplayers and uh, owners who are often billionaires. Well, Bruce, let's, let's step back, I guess, and set up the case of what we're talking about here in case anyone doesn't know. Last week, American Family Insurance and the Brewers jointly announced that American Family Insurance, starting in 2021, was going to be the naming rights partner. We know Miller, now known as Miller Coors, which is part of Molson Coors, which has been traded around SAB Miller. It was almost part of InBev. Uh, but going back about 20 years ago, they paid $40 million over 20 years, so about $2 million a year, to have the naming rights of the new baseball stadium in Milwaukee be known as Miller Park. How much do you think the American Family Insurance deal is worth over the next 15 years? Well, nobody knows, but uh, Miller Coors... Uh basically said it was an incredibly rich offer. Uh, the, the the most extensive offer I've seen uh, in terms of baseball teams, I think, is Atlanta Braves, $250 million for 25 years for naming rights. I think we can assume this is a good deal smaller, but probably quite a bit higher than the, the $40 million Miller paid. Yeah, so let's talk about what the real crux of the issue is, and that is American Family Insurance and really how they've kind of treated the compensation of their agents. And I'm quoting from your article here. But beginning in the mid-1990s, the company began squeezing the compensation of agents, cutting their commissions while handing fat raises to, his, to its executives. This trend continued, and by 2014, the company's top 10 officers earned $23.6 million, uh, led by their CEO, with who earned $8.1 million. His pay that year was 12 times higher than the company's CEO earned back in 1994. Is there anything that leads us to believe that this is a justified increase, at least at that amount? Uh, well, there's certainly the agents and average employees uh, were upset by it. 
you know, I think that with all these CEO salaries, it's questionable whether the market is really working here because the people who decide these salaries own the company. They they do have share. Uh, they do have uh, board members, but the board members are generally paid a fee by the uh, executives uh, that they are supposedly overseeing, and so they all end up doing very well. And then you have so-called interlocking directorates where you have CEOs sitting on each other's boards and, and approving these kinds of raises. Uh, I mean, what we do know is that uh, there's been a stratospheric increase in CEO pay since the late 70s and no comparable increase in wages of average workers. In April 2017, a jury found that American Family owes $1 billion to almost 7,000 of its current and former uh, insurance agents. Can you talk a bit about that? What, why and what exactly do they owe the money for? So this is all part of this change of the American family where, you know, as recently as the, oh, I'd say uh, early 90s, you had agents who were very well paid. They were the backbone of the company. Uh, and uh, they started squeezing what they earned. And at some point, uh, they have been not putting aside money for the retirement, arguing that these agents are really independent contractors and therefore don't need to get uh, a retirement that they were once promised. The only thing is, is that these agents cannot sell for any other companies. They are bound by their contract to only sell American family insurance, which would seem to suggest they're not independent contractors. So they have gone to court to challenge this, and a jury ruled in their favor. Then the federal district judge ruled in their favor, uh, and the estimate is that as much as $1 billion is owed to these agents for retirement. And this has now been appealed to a federal court of appeals. And it just strikes me as a really good example of what's going on with American companies where you have CEOs continue to make more and more as they, in essence, they tend to get rewarded for cutting expenses. And, the, and you know, a key way to cut expenses is to lower what you're paying your employees. Well, that's... Certainly. Uh, sorry, I'm staring at my list of questions trying to figure out which direction I go, and I have many different avenues no, to go down. It's a, it's a mouthful because you've got this whole American family thing here, and then how does that connect to Miller Park? Well, it's so you, you have a, 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 this company that's, uh, I mean, arguably, if they had paid the pensions, the, the retirement uh, to these employees, maybe they wouldn't have that money to contribute to Miller Park. It just seems as though the middle class are getting getting going and coming and going. They're both paying taxes to support the subsidy for Miller Park, and they're seeing their salaries go down while the uh, the fat cats uh, do better. And and these same fat cats, by the way, are then the market for these luxury boxes, which is one of the major reasons you have these new stadiums having been built over over recent decades to sort of separate the classes. In these in these stadiums. Well, let's let's talk a bit about the tax for Miller Park. When does it end? When was it originally supposed to end? And what is this reserve fund? Yeah, so this is something I started writing about for Milwaukee Magazine uh, back in the mid '90s when they were first talking about doing it. And and by the time this subsidy was passed for Miller Park, 
it was at the time the largest subsidy ever given a baseball team. And it was so complete because, and part of that was because the ownership at the time, Bud Selig, really didn't, you know, he was not really a deep pockets owner compared to most of these places, most of these uh, teams. In any event, they had they had so much debt that they could never pay their portion of what they were supposed to for the stadium. So there really was no contribution by the team. Uh, they they mostly used the naming rights. They collateralized the naming rights from Miller uh, from Miller at the time it was Miller Brewing, not Miller Coors, and that was their only contribution. The rest of the contribution they were supposed to come up with they couldn't do. And so the city came forward with more money, uh, the Bradley Foundation did, and, and some other folks. So that's how this thing was created. And, uh, I mean, you could argue really that Miller Park naming rights money was owed to the taxpayers, if anyone, because they paid for the entire stadium. And what about the sales tax that's it's still going? When is it expected to end? So this was originally projected to end in 2010. That was the first estimate, and then that got, ended up getting pushed back further and further. And now they're talking about it ending in 2020. However, what's been happening is they've basically been salting away money. They've been uh, uh, getting more money than they need in, in current terms so that they could... Uh, build up a reserve fund. And so in essence, even if this sales tax ends as they're now projecting in 2020, they have enough money in that reserve fund that they've collected so that the taxpayers will continue contributing to the maintenance of the stadium through at least 2040. Well, there's some good news in all this, and that is that American Family Insurance announced that as part of all this, and they've last year we know they expanded their presence in Milwaukee greatly with the naming rights to the former Marcus Amphitheater and the North Gate, oddly enough, of the Festival Grounds to Summerfest. But they're looking for a downtown office building. Does that change your outlook on the public subsidy, or is that something you expect to be subsidized as well? Uh, I, well, <laughs> I, I, I guess I hope the downtown building isn't going to be subsidized. I guess you're, I, I do agree that there's some good news here, and that is that uh, American Family obviously is uh, embracing Milwaukee in a way that they never had done before. They were always, you know, very much a, a Madison-based company, uh, and I think that reflects the fact that it's this has become a, a huge company. It now ranks, I think, uh, 311th on the, the Forbes 500 list. So it's a big company that's uh, really continuing to expand its uh, footprint. Bruce, what else can people be looking for that you're going to be reporting on soon? Uh, well, I uh, I just did a story on the whole gerrymandering uh, issue uh, and how that's uh, playing out and the fact that uh, even Republican voters in the state uh, feel like uh, the uh, gerrymandered districts should be uh, overthrown and there should be reform, uh, nonpartisan reform. And, uh, well, I'm taking a look at something involving We Energies, which I'd, I'd rather not divulge, but I think is pretty interesting. All right. And if people are looking for that, Bruce's article on American Family Insurance and more, they can find all that at urbanmilwaukee.com. Bruce Murphy, Urban Milwaukee editor, thanks for joining the show. Nice chatting. All right. And while we have just a minute left, there's a couple other stories that I think are worth your time to read. I'll post a link to them in the show notes for the podcast. 
But if you're listening now live on the radio, check out urbanmilwaukee.com. One of them is the Marcus Center Historic Building. There's a proposal to make it locally designated as a historic building. That would change how the process would move going forward and what the design likely would look like going forward for the planned renovation of the facility. Another is an interesting case of Heartland Advisors, a quiet but large insurance, or not insurance, investment company Milwaukee's moving across the street into the new BMO Tower. And the last one is the Bucks are very quietly building a new sports bar in the Live Block. Everyone knows that the Live Block is generating a huge amount of investment from the Bucks, but the team seems ready to operate its own sports bar instead of contracting out with someone else. Good Cities Tavern opened, or Good Cities Brewery opened there. Punchbowl Social, a entertainment kind of location is opening there. And Drink Wisconsinably is opening there as well. So thanks for listening to another installment of City Beat from Urban Milwaukee. The show was recorded live at River Rest Radio in ice-cold Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We'll see you next week.